Content warning. Discussions of domestic abuse, sex, AIDS, and racism. Hello and welcome to the Billy Shears Club. I'm your host, Caleb Clark, and with me today we have Eric Rick. Uh, Eric, how are you doing today? Pretty jazzed. And I I actually have a microphone this time, so hopefully I'm coming through. Yeah, snaps on that, I used (laughs) to say. I'm going to be doing this regularly. I might as well make some investments. Yes, because eventually we'll be getting that, that big, big money. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Those no. endorsements. Maybe, I don't know. But yeah, so today we've got two lovely albums for you folks. We have The Velvet Rope by Janet Jackson and Tracy Chapman by Tracy Chapman. How about you start us off a little bit about Miss Janet there, Eric? Absolutely. Okay, so our diva of the hour is Janet Demita Joe Jackson, the tenth and youngest child of the legendary Jackson family of entertainers, by far the most famous woman from the family. Um, she initially followed in the footsteps of her older siblings, appearing in various TV shows and sitcoms, and signed a recording contract with A&M at the behest of her father when she was, um, I believe, 16. Her first two albums failed to make much of a commercial splash, but really when her career took off and she started to become an icon was when she fired her father as her manager, annulled her marriage, and got new management who introduced her to Minneapolis producers and former Prince collaborators Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. And over the next decade, this new collaborative team produced a string of several of the most innovative and commercially successful pop albums of the 80s and 90s, including Control, Rhythm Nation, 1814, and Janet Period, which each of which progressively saw her adding new sounds and styles to her music and saw her progressively evolving her image as a sex symbol and as a socially conscious performer. So this brings us to today's album, her sixth record, The Velvet Rope. After the Janet era, she was once again the subject of a bidding war between record companies. She negotiated her previous contract with Virgin for $80 million, making her the highest paid musical act in the world. Um, The album was released at the peak of Janet's fame and success. She was really the main pop girl of the mid-90s alongside Mariah Carey. And it was inspired by an emotional breakdown she had during the Janet World Tour for her previous album, which is caused by many things. Unaddressed trauma from childhood adolescence, body dysmorphia, burnout from overwork, and I guess existential crisis over her career path, living up to the idealized sex symbol image she'd created for herself. A lot of interviews with Janet from the Sarah Finder speaking quite a bit about boundaries, escapism, and the importance of confronting one's trauma head on. And some critics have called the album the soundtrack to a therapy session because of its focus on self-awareness and mental and emotional health. She also talks about a number of other um, groundbreaking lyrical themes, including queer sexuality, something she was questioning with regards to herself as a result of her crisis, um, domestic abuse, and chat room relationships on the nascent internet. Her willingness to discuss these things really cemented her legacy as a tastemaker in the 90s. So, yeah, I mean, in my opinion, it's the pinnacle of Janet and Jam and Lewis's musical achievement. The production is groovy. It's full of genre-blending, sonic textures, and lush harmonies. There's a lot to talk about here. So, uh, yeah, why don't we dive right in? All right, then let's do that. Uh, Let's see. Where do you want to start off? You know, um, Janet herself intended the album to be listened to in one sitting from front to back, so I think it might be a good idea to just start from the top. 
Well, I will probably take issue with that statement for reasons that will be clear as we go on, but yeah. Okay, uh, well, do you have an alternative? Oh, no, just the one sitting just because... Oh, 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 okay, okay, I got you, I got you. You mean, we can start from the top, we just, yeah, Yeah, one sitting is a little contentious. I agree with that. Yeah, but Um, yeah, let's let's definitely start with the top, yeah. With the title track, The Velvet Rope, which also has that... Well, she actually starts off with the, yeah, this little interlude called Twisted Elegance. Um... She establishes like a bit of a thesis statement for the album. It's my belief that we all have the need to feel special. It's this need that can bring out the best in us, yet the worst in us. This need created the velvet rope. So she kind of uses the velvet rope as a metaphor for, um, it's like the boundaries between Janet's inner life and the idealized celebrity pop star image she presents to the world. She likens those boundaries to the ones necessary for healthy, I guess, romantic relationships and just friendships. Um, I'm just thinking of one particular TV interview of hers that I saw recently while looking up stuff um, for this. Um, and she, yeah, she, she pretty clearly made that connection. So I thought that was a really interesting metaphor. Yeah. It sort of brings up the imagery of, you know, a big event, movie release, and like there's sort of, you know, the, the roped off entrance and all that. Yeah. Definitely really cool. Mm, yeah. I don't know, I I just, this is one where, like, it was just vibey enough that I didn't listen too carefully beyond the chorus, so, a whole lot, but yeah, it's definitely talking about, basically, repeats the uh, interlude word for word on the chorus, saying, we have a special need, feel like we belong, and all that. I mean, it has a really hard-hitting, like, hip-hop reminiscent groove, which I find kind of fun. It's bumpable. Um, yeah, it's definitely And there's, nice like, a, that crazy violin solo by uh, Vanessa May at the end where there would be a bridge, which I think is really cool. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely an interesting track to listen to. Yeah. Yeah, it was nice. And I definitely really love that violin solo, like, especially the way they sort of, like, manipulate the sound to make it sound a little bit more like an electric guitar. It's... Yeah, I mean, the, the lyrics are kind of on the nose, which, like, Janet does kind of have a penchant for those. Um, mm-hmm. Especially if you've listened to Rhythm Nation. <laughs> oh, yeah. Lots of platitudes. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I kind of feel some of that on this track, this title track. But then we move along, and what do we see when we are admitted past the velvet rope? Well... Imposter syndrome? A freaking banger, I think. <laughs> yeah. And wanting to have to be yourself. Like, yeah, you. I'm talking about the next track. Yeah. Where it's, it's definitely got a much harder sort of rock beat, and it's all the lyrics are about, like, you know, when you have, like, how trying to be someone else makes you die inside, and how you have to be yourself. Mm-hmm. It's definitely a hard going one, yep. especially with the chorus, because. Apparently it's not actually Michael, but it sort of sounds like I've referred to this on another episode, but how sometimes Michael does his very, you know, like that sound, like that little spoken word, but with a tone type thing. On yeah, the you're not the first person to point that out. I really thought she sounded yeah. like Michael on this song as well. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. It's it where the really family nice resemblance thing. comes through. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, really if you, nice have song. you listened to this song? They did uh, Scream. 
I listened to it a while ago. I wasn't a big fan, but like it's been mm-hmm. a few minutes. I mean, fair enough, but I feel like the contrast between their voices is really obvious there. Yeah, I'd have to go back and listen to it. Yeah. The music video is really fun, and you know how I love music videos. Oh, yeah. And also how the Jacksons love music videos. Oh, yes. And speaking of which, this next track, Got Till It's Gone, mm, um, music video is really, really cool. It depicts Janet and uh, the collaborator Q-Tip as lounge Q-tip, singers yeah. at a black nightclub in South Africa during apartheid, which was like then recently mm. dismantled. It was the late 90s. And so yeah, the fashion yeah. and cinematography is really beautiful and has some social commentary going on there. So yeah, highly yeah. recommend. Yeah. yeah, I didn't get a chance to watch the music video. The song was really nice though. It's like a... Yeah. This is where... Probably I feel my like this is favorite on the album. I feel like this is probably where it kicks into the album sort of like first really grabs me because like the the rope I was sort of oh, that's pretty good that's pretty good you that was like oh that's pretty good but then like until it's gone it has the nice hip-hop groove it has q-tip on the ad-libs it has Joni Mitchell's sort of sampled chorus and it's you know Janet talking about regret after a breakup and then q-tip is like you've messed up get over me that's really nice it's all such a wonderful groove. Um, God Till It's Gone is actually my personal introduction to Janet way, way, way back then. So thank God for Spotify Radio. Um, yeah. <laughs> helped me from, yeah, this whole record like helped me from dying of boredom at a choir uh, competition that I was at at the time. So thank God for Janet. <laughs> but yeah, no, I really appreciate how she... Um, and the, the Big Yellow Taxi sample is really especially interesting to me because that, that song is about, like, gentrification and the destruction of the environment. That's kind of interesting how Janet repurposes Joni Mitchell's, like, wistful frustration into her own existential musings about lost love. It's really interesting to see how she does that. I think that sample yeah. is just perfect. Spot on. Yeah. Definitely a nice little bit to throw in there, you know. That was that's the thing about the... 90s they went for very obvious samples but when it works it works yeah this is one of the times where it just it hit hard yeah what do you think about this like next little interlude oh the that one so that one yeah the speakerphone yes where i didn't know who it was but apparently janet jackson calls up her friend and happily suggested lover Lisa Marie Presley, and then uh, Wax One, all having a casual yeah, conversation. Um, yeah, it certainly has some of my uh, most, yeah, certainly some interestingly memorable dialogue, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Saying that, her... well, let's not get into the, what the dialogue was, but suffice to say, girl talk. Mm-hmm. Gal pals, right? That explains things. Yeah, yeah. It was. I feel like this is probably my reaction was more of just befuddlement as opposed to it might have been more of a no snap at the time, or if I was more plugged into the Janet mythos because you had mentioned a lot of the. There was like rumors about them and stuff, and so 
this would have really set off, you know. Is TMZ a thing in the 90s? What, what was that? TMZ? I TMZ. mean, I'm not sure. I don't know. I feel like that came into being during our lifetimes. Yeah. At any rate, it's like a very whatever. phenomenon of the aughts is what I seem to associate it with. Yeah. At any like rate, celebrity pop, culture, pop, paparazzi, Perez Hilton. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, paparazzi would definitely pick up on this and be like, oh, she's confirmed it. Oh, 100%. And they made a point of, like, appearing together in public a lot. Like, they wanted the paparazzi to pick up on it, so... Yeah, make of it what you will. Yeah, it was, uh... That is 90s skits. Mm-hmm, that was 90s skits. Yeah, I will... I will say this is either anywhere near the grossest sort of sexual skit I've seen. Also, like, just overall, she was pretty sparing with the skits, all things considered. Like, I went through the track list, and out of 75 minutes, she only spent three on skits, which is pretty light. A lot of interludes, though. She's gen- she's generally really fond of those. Um, the yeah. previous two albums, Rhythm Nation and Janet Period, both had, like, a ton of interludes, too. Yeah, but they, but like, there were definitely a lot of them, but like, they were always kept pretty brief. Yeah, like, they're always relevant, and I feel like a few, especially, well, we're gonna get to them, like, as we continue, but like, like, a few of them are definitely have like a little saying or like a pithy statement that like provides a good transition to the next track. Um, so yeah, speaking of which, that this next one, My Need, this is where she gets real sexy. Yeah, she's got that, uh, the Marvin Gaye sample, You're All I Need to Get By, which had also recently been sampled by Method Man. Oh, nice. Yeah, nice. Yeah, it works quite well. I'm head-bobbing to it. Yeah. She's talking about another kind of head. Oh, is that what it's about? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, I do, I do have in my notes, awful sexual. Oh, yeah, yeah. She, she talks quite explicitly, doesn't she? I think this is kind of like the um, pinnacle of that, though. She definitely get she she gets more tasteful later on. Um, yeah. Fasten your yeah. seatbelts. Yeah, I would say one last note on the all I need. Okay, was just sorry. Our uh, I need was just lots of cool vocal harmonies. Then yeah, yeah. Then, yeah there's yeah, a lot of those throughout. Yeah, good use of back backup vocalist because that is a sort of play against Anna Jackson who's usually a little like not the biggest voice but she's like a very good center presence she's got some she puts on a heck of a stage show and it's definitely on my bucket list to see her nice yeah yeah one of these days when we're not having um, terrible plagues raging through the land that would be nice. <laughs> mm. It's the dream, baby. Live music. I miss it. So, fasten your seatbelts. Uh, what do I have written here? Janet and her friends warn us of the excellence to come in the next several tracks, because it's going to be a bumpy ride. Okay, yeah. very cute. Track. I love the little Betty Davis quote. But you are, Blanche, you are in that chair. They're having fun. 
Then right after that, we get into Go Deep. It's just like, Ooh, let's go party. Let's have some disco strings and a funky beat. I just really like that. It's just a really well-produced song. It's right at the beginning of what I felt was like the strongest part of the album. So It has like a really funk, like 70s funk reminiscent synth bass line and like another killer of a yeah. hook on that chorus, right? Oh, yeah. It's when you'll slowly grind and freak to after about half an hour on the dance floor when you're a few drinks in. Well, when you put it like that. Oh, yes. I'm talking like that. Yeah. Yeah. Really nice one. Also has sort of like that, a little bit of the West Coast pop rap sound of the time. Like it sounds a little bit like Kudio could have jumped in, which would be fun to see. It's really fun to see her lean into her hip-hop side, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. It shows, you know, it's part of the thing. Like, you know, she's like the... It's like Michael. She's, you know, a lot of her is a mixed spectacle, but she's able to, like, lean into more of, like, a human regular side. And part of that is, like, her greater familiarity with hip-hop. Like, again, getting Q-tip on there earlier and having more of the chilled out raps oh yeah and she's really savvy and she knows how to pick um just excellent talented collaborators too which is also Mm -hmm. important skill to have as a pop star of any kind Mm -hmm. can't do everything and she has some killer producers to back her up okay tangent Also, to be clear, um, that second verse on Go Deep, um, she's talking about her husband, just an FYI, Rene Elizondo Jr., whom she mentions by name in the song. Oh, oh my. It's interesting. Let me double check because I don't know the lyrics off. Verse two, you say. Yes, the verse is about getting freaked from behind. It's about godly marital sex with her godly marital husband. Well, I mean, I mean, marital, marital, you know? Might as well, you know? Yeah. I mean, good for her. Get it, girl. The next track, um, yeah, what, what, what was that? We applaud a, uh, married queen. Oh, yes. But anyway. Yeah, no, Janet, she definitely had, um, Okay, we'll get there. Um, so this next track, Free Zone, um, this is where she makes her most explicit bid for gay icon status, and boy, did she succeed. Yeah. yeah. It's like this crazy freestyle dance track, which has like several different spoken word segments, and like, unlike some of her other spoken word pieces, I'm actually kind of feeling this one. It's her queer liberation anthem. And it definitely works because it draws a lot more on like house and electro and disco where you know generally you can do more of the spoken word style narration over just you know a really good beat which she has like three of them on this song so she's just you know oh yeah it keeps pivoting between like freestyle dance and like jazz and like what else there's yeah there's there's a bunch of different styles that are just kind of woven together here yeah and most of the song is just and that freestyle dance. 
Yeah, freestyle they, dance is kind of her giving a shout out to like those urban ballroom queer communities, which um, that's a music that's associated with them. So I really appreciate that. It's also okay. It's also one of two songs on the album to legitimize bisexuality with that verse about Zone Two, which like yeah. I really love when media legitimizes bisexuality. Cool stuff, bisexuals. Yeah. I know, right? Good stuff for her to be talking about in 1997. Yeah, this is way ahead of its time. Like, we honestly, like, I'm not obviously having been a child at the time, but like, it seems we really didn't have like any consistent uh, gay and LGBT plus representation until like Lady Gaga. Like, as far as like between, I, I don't know. 80s and that point so hey janet oh, gosh, oh yeah she did a lot of stuff to bridge the gap um yeah and so i just i really appreciate that and she does yeah. even more of that through the rest of the album yeah. too is she's not even yeah. done like she's just getting started yeah. here <laughs> yeah I would we're in the middle also... of this like excellent run of, of like really meaty um well-produced songs in the middle of the album this chewy core i guess um <laughs> another interlude Oh, oh, I had a, you don't have to hold on to the pain to hold on to the memories. Hold on, hold just... on, I, I still got, I can still got a, no, I'm free zone. You have another, oh, okay, okay. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead, my dear. Yeah, I was going to mention, like, it, a lot of it sort of, I ended up comparing my hit to uh, Vogue by Madonna, because that's another one that, like, threw on house, and this was, like, a few years earlier, but very ghastly different approaches where, Donna is like trying to do sort of the Disney. Everybody can vote if you want to, yay! Yeah. Whereas this one is much more specifically, you know, I'm here for the queers, and also like the yeah. whole thing of Madonna having learned how to do the ballroom dances from various drag queens and trans women, and then them not seeing a dime from it, or at least according to this one interlude on a Random House album I listened to a while back. So. Janet, we stand. Well, I believe that Madonna isn't necessarily known for being the most uh, relatable queen, is she? No, no. And I, that is I exactly that what Janet is. <laughs> well, I mean, that's exactly Excuse what me. Janet's trying to do here. She's trying to bring us inside her velvet rope. She's trying to be yeah. relatable, even though she's like yeah. a celebrity superstar. She's trying to show us that, hey, we can all work through our pain together here, and we all have mm. trauma, so let's celebrate our queer identities. Yeah, that's a cool thing to do. Absolutely, absolutely. After that, shall we move on? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now we can. I release you. So I'm about to tear up because you don't have to hold on to the pain to hold on to the memories. Um, together again, right? <laughs> this quintessential '90s house track and another gay anthem. <laughs> so, what do you think? Yeah, it's a really like it's a great beat but also it's just really sad because i think you had mentioned this is dedicated to one of her friends who died of aids and then it's just or just very sweet tribute to how much joy he brought i kind of like dedicated to her friend and um also in the liner notes she was talking about just all the victims of the aids crisis worldwide um it's yeah. one of her signature songs she has mm -hmm. performed it 
at every engagement since its release. So, yeah, she talks about the inspiration she gets from her friend and the afterlife that she envisions for them. So it's a really sweet and upbeat song. I really love it. Really wish it were more part of the pop culture canon. What can you do? You can listen to this. What can you do when you've been blacklisted by the industry? Was dad was dad gum in sync voice? Oh good. This is why we all went I to know. Oh, another point about Together Again. Um, apparently the arrangement was intentionally based off... Jam and Lewis based it off of Last Dance by Donna Summer. So like the little twinkling intro uh -huh. with vocal chop. And then suddenly that chorus that hits you. And then the yeah. verses over that dance beat. And then there's a dramatic bridge where the key change. And then the last chorus fading out. So it's the exact same thing. Huh. That was really fun. So yeah, that's what they yeah, found it off. Classic disco like, song. Yeah. That's showing the gay history. Yeah, that's a really advanced maneuver there. Absolutely. Yeah. They know their stuff. They know their references. I think you talked about Donna Summer earlier on the podcast, didn't you? Yeah, way, way back. Like, I think way back in the day, time. yeah. So, yeah, no, they're doing a little homage to that. Yeah. After so this that, next we... interlude, yeah, it's like this screeching dial-up connection as it transitions us into the next song. And I used to have dial-up internet, so I know what that oh, sounds like. Oh, yeah, we had net zero back in the day. So bad. Mm -hmm. It took like, like a minute to load a Google search. Yeah. Yeah, I, I but you don't need that much agree. bandwidth to like load the chat rooms, right? Which is what she's talking about in this song. Yeah. Back in the I'm 90s. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure actually, because it seemed to me, at least to me, just as more general, more of a uh, missing you. I don't know what I do without you type of song, but it does definitely have that very electronic feel because it's all covered in synth pads and bells, and not really much drums. But it's like, oh, you're gonna love this. Um, <laughs> I wrote um, the album's obligatory hyperpop moment. <laughs> this is. This is a. This is Vaporwave. Get your internet. Hey, why are you dragging? I bring Hyperpop to you every episode. No, it's like, it's, it's, the, it's the track with the most, like, futuristic um, production. And it's really um, fitting, considering what she's talking about. Um, let, me pull oh, up, yeah. let me pull up the um, note that she had. Because she did a track-by-track track interview when the album came out. And it was about this track. It was something about, like, how it was... It's about online relationships and how they can be, like, addictive and artificial. Uh, well, yeah, cause, yeah, I'm saying that because I'm checking on the pre-course and it's talking about how, like, she, like, she's imagining the person, but then she still feels empty. Mm-hmm, yes. Oh, yep, yep, yep. And then the person is like, is this a new way to love? Never face-to-face, -face, is it enough? And we've never met that little, like... Flourish that she does there. It's like she comes she's coming to a realization, like, wow, this is a fake relationship, but not really. Yeah. Oof. The level of fakeness to it. Yeah, it's just like. And looking back through the lyrics, it appears that I was a bum fool, because, yeah, it's like all about. Yeah, it's about the internet. Yeah. About like chat rooms and AOL Messenger. Yeah, Online the, the very the first stages of that. 
Yeah, the dopamine rush of, you know, seeing a notification and seeing someone type something out and also the how addictive it gets and just the loneliness because you're sitting there looking at a box. Oh, yes. And I mean, I just, this song has only, has aged like fine wine for the age of social media and dating apps. Like, especially yeah. now that we're doing that on our phones and things are even more instantaneous. Like there's this need for instant gratification. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a bop. Underrated gem. The lyrics are great. Yeah. Hyper pop. Vaporwave. Right up there with Batman Forever in terms oh, yeah. of being really prophetic. We're getting there. <clears throat> So this next interlude, um, are, do you have any other notes? Yeah, yeah. Awesome. She says, how empty of me to be so full of you. It's like, she's getting a little more self-aware now, which kind of preludes this explosion. Come. So this next track, What About, which um, seems to be like, to me like she's confronting some past trauma here, because, wow, that explosive chorus, right? Yep. It's the, it's the uh, domestic abuse song, or at least emotional abuse. And yeah, there's a, a lot, lot of well, I'm, there's a lot of like, well, I mean, she tells a pretty explicit story of like what this guy has done to her. Um, and I think the story is just like really, it's terrible, but it's fascinating, and it's like full of like these specific and vivid details. You hear like this rage and defiance in her voice, so. Oh, yeah. Uh, the song, the song, because it's like it starts really slow and gentle when she's talking yeah. about like the walk along the beach. And then mm -hmm. suddenly it explodes and there's these like hard rock guitars. And it's like, wow, this song sounds like the anxiety of confronting a manipulative yeah. person. Yeah. It sounds like how that feels. Mm -hmm. There's an explosion. Pent yeah. up rage. Yeah, especially, it's especially scary with, like, the first two verses where it's, like, uh, the abuser is so in control and just, like, like be, trying to be in a good mood and being, like, making a happy moment and then, like, slowly losing that control and starting to be upset. And it's, like, kind of, like, whew. I was just listening over the, yeah, the yeah. song, like, the other day. That second, the line that's caught my attention was like, I know I didn't say something wrong. Like, that's not how yeah. a lover is supposed to talk to you. What? Yeah. That's an abuse. That's a kind of abusive, honestly. Yeah. yeah it is. Slip through the cracks. Because yeah. she's got this whole laundry list of things he did, and it's just awful. Yeah, it's the only time Janet actually uses hard profanity on the album, too. And honestly, girls earned it. Yeah. yeah. She's earned her F-bomb. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I end up, like, pairing it in my mind, because, like, there was an earlier episode we did on the show with uh, Michael Jackson's Escape. Mm -hmm. And I ended up comparing it because there were a couple songs on there that were also about abuse. And they are markedly different, because... Both of the, at least in that album, I'm, I'm not, I'm not deep enough. At least into the '90s, angsty Michael side, be the perfect judge. But at least on those two, when he's talking about abusive situations, it's very detached. He's always like just describing the situation, and he's like got righteous anger about it, but you know, never really connects for 
multiple reasons, and also just it comes off really weird. But this one is just laid out bare. It's super personal. It's it's uncomfortable, but like it works just because it's still able to maintain that fury and make it feel authentic. And so it's like, job man. Well, I mean, she also does a lot of showing, like as opposed to telling. She gives exact details of what has yeah. been done to her and how she feels, and you know, she doesn't spare yeah. us any details. It's it's pretty explicit, you know. Yeah, it just getting my face and not emo- not comforting me when I'm crying, and you know, it's just like yelling at her, like saying no one would ever want her. Mm-hmm. She's being gaslit. Yeah. Well, it's good that she finally confronts her abuser at the end. That's the final chorus. Yeah. Yeah. Which, and I'm, yeah. Any final notes on this one? I think it's a fascinating song. Yeah, that's all I got. Yep. She definitely, she definitely excels in that, in the, um, Abuse story category. I, I agree. I mean, it's 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 compelling. I haven't heard the Michael song that you were talking about, but I'll have to give it a listen. Yeah, I'll, I'll send it to you afterwards. But awesome. It's also really. It's also very dark. Right. Right. I can imagine. Um. So this next track, every time I feel like this is where the album starts to drag and feel like if you're listening to it in one setting, this is the specific moment where it starts to feel a little long. Yeah, it's definitely for me because, like, what about is a very strong close to the that. I mean, if you're just jumping into the album, if you're just jumping into the album in the middle, like every time it's perfect to go there because it's cooling down from that chaos. But like, if you're listening to it from the very beginning, this is where it starts to drag. Yeah. Yeah. And on its own, I think this is a great song. It's this gorgeous ballad with strings, and and it's it's thematically related to what about? It's about the fear of intimacy and love. You know, she's in her. She talks about her. Her heart races when she um, sees her lover. You know, who knew a trauma response could sound so soothing? Yeah, yeah. I definitely do appreciate that connection to the previous track. It's definitely a good type. But yeah, overall, you say. At this point, we've been on the album for a good 45 minutes, and it's just a straight-up ballad, and honestly, that's not really Janet's strength sometimes, so I'm just not a super huge fan of this particular one. I think she's, she has good vocal performances, but she isn't known for her voice, and we can, we can accept that. Yeah, yeah. She has many talents. Yeah, so this uh, the next track is really interesting to me, honestly. Tonight's the Night. It's a cover of a song by Rod Stewart. And, I mean, if you've heard the original, I don't know. It's not sexy to me at all. It's very, it's just very, uh, it's, it's a little bit skeevy to me. The vibe is definitely very, what was that? It's Rod Stewart. Yeah. Well, number one, that. There's like... Kind of like this dynamic of an older man and a younger woman with a power dynamic being exploited, and I just it makes me feel really gross and crawly on the inside. 
And granted, the line about the virgin child is still pretty weird regardless of who sings it, but it's ten times creepier when it's a man. And, like, a hundred times creepier when it's Rod Stewart. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, I think... It's not my favorite track on the album. I think Janet genuinely makes it sound sexy here. And I love how she incorporates the um, bisexuality element. She, like, keeps the pronouns... Keeps the pronouns. Well, then she also twists it a little at the end because she says, because I love you, boy, instead of because I love you, girl, which she said earlier. So there's like a threesome going on. Oh, oh my, Janice. She's the dominant top in this threesome. Don't get things twisted. Okay. I saw the Rhythm Nation video. I know how she does it. Oh, yeah, no, she she knows how to work it. (laughs) You've seen her choreography. Yeah, no, I, interesting track. Those are my thoughts about it. Yeah. Yeah, that's about all I got. I but I get that. lonely, though. That's really nice. Or at least the chorus uh, was really nice. Another Janet signature song, which, like, two on one album. Hey, it's a twofer. <laughs> Together again, the other one. Yeah, I mean, I know I said Got Till It's Gone was my favorite on the album. Um, <sighs> I'm having a hard time choosing between that and this one. Because, like, this song's a masterpiece, dude. It's one of the quintessential 90s R&B songs. Yeah. It even featured on the Obama summer playlist at the White House if you care about dumb stuff like that. (laughs) I do all the stats. Ah, yes. We stand our war criminals in this house. Yeehaw, drone me daddy. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Take me to Benghazi. Wait, wrong war criminal. <laughs> her, but yeah, no, I get wrong. I, she... I preferred Hillary Clinton in her uh, Serbia era. Yeah, yeah no, she's, she's kind of been losing relevance lately. She hasn't been charting. <laughs> this is sad. Not the main pop yeah. girl anymore, Hillary. Pump it up. Um, yeah, I get lonely. I really yeah, like she goes like full R&B soul with like no electronic or pop or dance affectations at all. She's like full soul mode on this song. Yeah, it's got those big horn riffs. She's just... yearning, which is like, given the gay themes of previous tracks on the album, is like perfect for this song. Yeah. We, people are lonely. With like this tightly harmonized chorus of 20 backing Janets just like... <laughs> really making you feel the passion. God, those harmonies are so crunchy. Ugh. Yeah, it's definitely a really nice chorus. Let's say, like, the only thing with this one is just that the court was, like, verses were so low-key. Compared to the chorus, it just sort of felt like, oh, just stepped off. Whoa, just stepped out again. So, but that's, like, a minor thing, honestly. It's still a really nice song. Especially in the dynamic the contrast, yeah, is definitely yeah. pretty big there. Yeah, but especially for like the outside of that, uh, go deep to what about uh, run, it's it's definitely my t- in my top two. Oh yeah, love yeah, I, I love this song. I mean, I, I can't get enough personally, and it's I, I agree that it's definitely in the middle of the slow part of the album, and things are definitely slow around this point. This is like yeah. the 11 o'clock number where you wake up near the very end. Yeah. Nice. It does definitely like 
my first listen, I wasn't as into it, but like on the second listen, this really kept me going like, towards the, the standalone end. song. It really snags your attention. Yeah. And even in the album, like you feel think, that desperation and that yearning. Ugh. Yeah. I think even for me in the album being cold, hard and cynical, like once I get to the second listen, it's like, okay, this is, this is the good part. I let into Janet into my heart. I prayed the prayer. <laughs> hey, Janet, we, can, we can learn to water our spiritual garden now. <laughs> yeah. With rope burn, where she gets kinky. That's her BDSM anthem. She I talks mean, about being tied up and being pleasured through pain. I love it. Well, I mean, it's slow. But I mean, that's fair for your. Uh... You know, when you gotta get like you have to build anticipation, right? Like you can't rush into these things. Well, yeah. Honestly, the fact that she calls this rope burn and she's talking about like being tied up, um, I feel like this is the point at which the velvet rope metaphor gets a little muddled. Does it really come up enough to be muddled? This is like this is the point at which the ropes are like really coming down and getting used for other purposes. Maybe that's part of the He's healing only process. let you inside the velvet rope now, honey. That could be part of the healing process, you know? It's like, yeah. first off, it's you, you get it off, now you're like, mm, yes. Yeah. Marvin Gaye said it best, sexual healing. Yeah. Well, that was about his porn addiction. <laughs> I'm trying well, to make it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Seriously, was, no, like, really? Was, yeah, like one of his friends. I didn't know that. Yeah, he was, well, he had, apparently he had a huge collection, and one of his friends came over and was like, whoa, you need some sexual healing, and he's like, hmm. Interesting. Ah. Huh. Yeah. He had to work off that death grip. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Did not know that. Yeah, yeah so no, it's... Is. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just, I was just gonna say... When I head on rope burn, and I don't really have much on anything or special, so I'll let you go full steam. Yeah, I mean, near the very end of the album, things really drag. It's like, if I absolutely had to choose filler tracks to remove in the album, I guess it would be rope burn, anything, which, like, just... Yeah, that one's really slow, and it really drags. Mm -hmm. yeah. I guess the track, that track, anything, I appreciate that after she demands rough sex and pain on a couple of tracks this is where we get to the aftercare side of things so i'm glad that she included that um it's also very reminiscent of like the tracks you would hear on janet the album so yeah no but another track i'd trim if i absolutely had to and then those closing tracks um special which is sort of where she checks back in with listeners and reassures that everyone... Because this is where she kind of wraps up the metaphor that she establishes at the beginning of the album, the need to feel special. And like, okay, by this point, we've listened to 70 minutes worth of, like, genius, and we're, we're tired. We, we don't remember that anymore. Like, okay, girl. <laughs> but I appreciate that she at least tries to put a conclusive, like an ending paragraph on her essay, you know? We have to work on healing our trauma, and we can't run away from our pain, because wherever you run, there you will be. I, I appreciate that she, like, talks seriously about that, and doesn't just sort of let it hang from earlier. Did you, um, did you get to that hidden track at the very end, Can't Be Stopped? 
Yeah. Yeah, it was nice because I think either it wasn't that well hidden or Spotify just shortened the time because it was like just right after. But yeah. Yeah. That was Spotify, like, that was... Yeah, it literally says contains hidden track on Spotify. So it's like yeah. you can't really miss it. Yeah. But yeah, it was really. That last track, um, it's a more, I wrote, it's a more heartfelt and convincing tribute to black and POC resilience in a racist world than anything we got on Rhythm Nation, honestly. Full of bops, though, that album may be. Am I wrong? Well, I, I haven't listened to Rhythm Nation in a long enough time to comment, but, you know. She was... Yeah, this is okay. the more mature canon. Yes. Yes, I mean, she was like 22, 23 when she recorded Rhythm Nation, and she's like in her 30s now. So, yeah, there's definitely a maturity that comes here, um, the, the perspective that she brings on this album compared to her previous work, and that really shows in not only the lyrics and her treatment of mental health and her personal trauma and social issues on this album, but I think the production has really matured from... Um, earlier points in her discography too because she had like this really well-defined new Jack Swing sound that she established on Control and then it just sort of branched out to different things on Rhythm Nation and Janet Period and then by this point you know I don't really know where I'm going with this but yeah no Jam and Lewis and Janet collaborative masterpiece any final thoughts that you have? No, just really solid album, despite my complaints about runtime. It's just got a lot of really solid tracks, you know. Some of the best pop music you're going to find, or pop and R&B music you'll find in the 90s. Nice. After you've sat through 75 minutes of this, it kind of feels like you've done... You, you feel tired because you've done the work of, you know, getting yourself through the entire thing. You know, it doesn't. It, I, I really feel like get enough respect after the fact. Sort of like Janet's career as a whole. You know, it's it's not an understatement that she literally ruled the pop music world once upon a time. Like she was a major figure in the rise of MTV through the '80s and '90s. She outsold um, Britney Spears and Madonna in the '90s. Um, and most children of the '90s vividly remember the peak of her popularity and relevance when she was putting out these cutting-edge albums, but, which, which all vanished in the wake of Nipplegate, which is kind of surreal to think about. Yeah, it, 2000s was a weird time for cancel culture. Yeah, it, it was the era of George W. Bush, and, and, you know, the Christian right was very, very much... What, what should I say? They were influential at that time. So, but yeah, I mean, without this album and without, um, I guess this, it, it kind of helped to establish that alternative R&B sound that we now hear from artists like Solange and Janelle Monae and um, even like yeah. some stuff that like Beyonce and Rihanna have put out. Like, well, remember when Rihanna used to make music? Now she just has like Fenty and stuff. Was this Rihanna woman? Why is she singing? I don't know. But yeah, yeah. What pop music it. career? She, she, she is a skincare and lingerie magnate. Yeah, no, but we wouldn't have had like <laughs> much of what any of those artists have put out. 
Yeah, that's that's what I would have to say. You know, people need to put some more respect on Janet. Definitely. Are we head over to Tracy? We shall. I'm feeling right. about time. Yeah, yeah. So, some background on Tracy the Chapman. So, she was born in uh, Cleveland, Ohio. Of a very adept with music as a child, and was started writing her own songs at a very young age. But unfortunately, she was growing up right at the beginning of school integration, so she was victim of a lot of bullying and some outright attacks at school. But her parents transferred her to like this boarding school place, where she was a lot happier. Went to college, uh, gets her bachelor bachelor degree at uh, in a anthropology studies and, and African studies and one of her college buddy and she's also been like performing at coffee houses and bars and one of her friends is like oh hey you got you got some really good stuff like let me my dad's in the music industry let me give him a demo tape of your stuff and he's like no thanks I don't want to record a demo tape so he goes okay but then he finds out somehow that she actually has a recording sitting at the uh, university radio station so he organizes like this little heist grabs the demo tape, takes it to his dad, and the dad just sort of passes it around the industry. And the only people who actually pick it up are uh, Electra, and they don't expect that it'll sell more than 50,000 copies because of basically late 80s, of course, was the era of hair metal and dance pop and very over-the-top R&B and hip-hop, including Janet, who was on the much better end, but was still, you know, doing her thing. But, uh... So no one had big expectations, they released this, and it goes 13 times platinum. And it's just hugely popular. And especially because uh, Fast Car it was a big single. And she ends up performing a, it at Nelson Mandela's 70th birthday. After that album, she ends up stepping out of the spotlight a little bit. It could, you can conjecture for whatever reason, like, you know, it's hard at Post Laurel Canyon to be a mainstream folksy singing songwriter and keep having hits or like she or uh she just didn't really have it in her muse to write another fast car right at that moment or as a sophomore slump or she was deliberately trying to avoid keeping the mainstream audience that she had because she just wanted to focus on the people who really liked her for her you know but at any rate next two albums are a lot smaller in size but then in 1995, she does New Beginning and the song Give Me One Reason, which is an even bigger hit at the time. And that sort of like solidifies her. Like, see, I can do more than one song. After that, like, she she's put out a pa- albums and on uh, performing occasionally. Uh, she composed the soundtrack for this play called Blood Knot, which was about apartheid. Uh, she did a really well presented received performance of Stand By Me. Uh, see, she was a judge at Sundance one year for Best Documentary. And was there any other things that weren't personal? Oh yeah, she does a lot of, she does some activism, like, generally her in her personal life, she's she likes to remain private, but she does work a lot in like the Cleveland education system. So going back to her roots and trying to show kids learn. So yeah, that's your only Tracy Chapman. And this is her big breakthrough album which is contrasted to the land of drum machines and synth presets 
This is very acoustic-y, very detailed singer-songwriter-y. It's just a really nice album. So yeah, let's get into it. Yeah. Good intro. Um, yeah, I mean, this album has, like, a lot of convincing storytelling. <clears throat> it's compelling melodies and just memorable music all around. Um, yeah, I just, it, it really makes you feel things. She's, her, the way she writes songs is very evocative. And, and I, every time I go into listening to Fast Car, I just feel like I'm not going to tear up. I'm not going to tear up. And then, oh, it gets me. Ah. Oh, yeah. Man. That song really is a hit. Mm-hmm. Just the, the way she tracks that cycle and the slow build and decay of that relationship. And the image of just driving in a fast car with the chorus, it's just... <laughs> I know. I mean, it's the production, too. It's like the, a lot of the songs in this album have, like, this, like, really warm-sounding bass line and, like, a lot of reverb. <laughs> and yeah. she has a very calm, soothing singing voice as well. She, the way she belts the lyrics, even on fat, even as, <laughs> even as you can hear, like, the... Um, hope go out of her voice from verse to verse like the way she belts out the words just still gives you the sense of safety yeah. it's a really nice voice very very good for this style of music that's more laid back stripped bare it's also rather androgynous i i did honestly think that he was a man for the first couple times Me too I this song. yeah i looked up pictures i was like is that a man oh okay non-binary icon even though she doesn't use labels, as far as I'm aware. Yeah. Definitely very butch, at least. Butch or not better, somewhere. Definitely. Yeah. Let's see. Other songs, because it seems generally like there's sort of two strains. The album, there's like the more social and political songs, and then there's more of the love songs. So, you know, yeah. If you wanna... um... I think she has examples of both on the album where she succeeds, yeah. like really, really, really well, and examples of both where it's like a little less successful. Gotcha. Yeah. What, should, what do you want to talk about next? Why don't we just start from the top? I mean, that, that talking about a revolution, wow. She's yeah. telling us to eat the rich, and she is gleeful about it, honey. Yeah. Like, there's this odd juxtaposition between this cheerful, upbeat, like, melody and delivery and the major chord progression of the song. I'm like, I guess the implications of what revolution actually means, which she doesn't really hate. She talks about people getting shafted by this, like, capitalist system, wasting time in the unemployment line, sitting around waiting for a promotion. She tells them to run for their destiny, but, like, it's a hopeful song for change, but I guess it kind of misses... It's good, and don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm getting into my critic mode, but, like, I guess it kind of, to me, there's, like, a gritty reality of what's necessary for systemic change. It kind of isn't being addressed as much here. Yeah. Which, and she does, she, and that would be one of my, like, that's probably my major, I guess, if it is a really good album, but, like, if there was one flaw, like, some of the lyrics are, like, a little bit superficial i guess but this is her debut album too and i just and i realized that like i'm sure she evolved and like as you stated she evolved she's had and she's become more mature in the intervening time but yeah that's how i feel about this track yeah 
Yeah, I like it. Like you say, very nice. And it's about like the way she sets revolution, at least in this particular song, is it's it is very beat idealistic because it's just first of all it's saying talking about a revolution sounds like a whisper. I guess that's, that's kind of a cheesy move. Uh, like, although I think she sort of redeems herself by rearranging Salvation Army to be Armies of Salvation. But yeah, it's it's pretty, it's a little bit broad and slogan-y if you're looking for like more of the hard-hitting political side. But like if you're looking for I mean, more of like a throwback 60s, you know, woohoo protest type song, it's pretty nice. Apparently, uh, Bernie Sanders' 2016 presidential campaign used this song at some rallies. Which makes sense that it would be used by a politician. There's lots of slogans being thrown around. And there's a lot of hope. A lot of positive um, emotions. Yeah. It also also definitely gravitates more towards the generally progressive side. It's not really... One that you're going to use as an establishment type candidate. Right, right. You know, definitely. As, but like still own... someone operating within the political machine nonetheless. Yeah. yeah More prog- like progressive politics, but still politics. Yeah. Definitely. The third track is also kind of about systemic issues across the lines. Yeah, it's about... Has one of those chorus melodies, and she has a lot of these on this album. But it, this track has one of those chorus melodies that just sort of like digs into your brain and hooks there and doesn't leave for a few days. Yeah, really good at writing those. Yeah, across the lines, and it's her talking basically about race riots and like she's. It's really nice because like it has sort of a dulcimer riff, and like she has two different hooks that she's able to write. The chorus. I especially love the way that the chords chords change when she says tonight the riots began just show sort of all the optimism and hope crying out of her as she sees any chance for peaceful reform sort of go up in fists and knives it's just a haunting moment on the album right Right, I, I definitely appreciate that as well. It's these little musical touches that she adds. Um, who produced the album? I I have to don't know. let me look it up real quick. Uh, I think I'm, I was reading around and she mentioned in one interview that the first producer that they were going to have actually died in a car accident before it could start. But the guy oh, wow. Who ended up as a David Kirschenbaum. Okay, cool. Nice. All right, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a very um, excellent folksy style that kind of pervades throughout the album. And it, it, there's a few variations, but I, there's also a lot of elements that sort of carry you all the way through. It kind of runs counter to, and you mentioned this, but it's kind of, it kind of does run counter to the dominant sound in pop at the time, which is very late 80s synth pop. Mm-hmm. Paul Abdul era. It was like, it was kind of like, right, and this was kind of like around when Janet was coming up, too, with her first few albums that made it big. Yeah. And it is definitely interesting to compare, because, like, we had been 
I'm gonna pick something back and forth that I mentioned, but like, because it's definitely a lot more substantial than most of the pop music coming out at the time. Like, it was generally, you know, the heyday of Bon Jovi and such. And then, uh, but also, like, as far as the more hard political stuff, this does come off as such, like you had mentioned, like, revolutionary side doesn't really stand out as much, but this was like the era of, this was the time when like Public Enemy and uh, NWA, Ice-T, even Two Live Crew, they were all getting big. So it was like there were a lot of people who definitely brought a lot more urgency, I would say, to than Tracy Chapman, so her strength is a lot more just like the like sort of the poetic way she handles it more. She's more of like, you know, Yes, that's just like a. Yeah, she's definitely like the more graceful, like yeah. folk poet of, of the era. Yeah. Yeah. It's like so the, uh, what kind of beef did they have with her exactly? Uh, let's see, I, I looked around. Uh, the only person that I found who had actual beef was. Uh, Chuck D of Public Enemy who said that she was never going to start a revolution because her music like the sound of it was not black and for black people to start a revolution you need a beat behind it which is a very gross thing to say both to Tracy and the larger African American community because it's like come on, come on Chuck you think people aren't going to social reform just because you're not sampling 500 songs but at any rate she did definitely get accepted by the mainstream of establishment a lot more easily like she got Grammys and it would be a while before a lot of the you know, hip hop type people would get any sort of recognition from musical institutions so I know you mentioned um, when we were texting earlier about how she had a reputation for, I guess, pandering to white guilt. Yeah, how do you feel about that? I would probably slightly rephrase it's not like she was pandering to white guilt, it's more that like the music that she made, I feel, is more accessible to an audience that is generally in the white guilt crowd of you know, sort of socially conscious enough to be aware of a bad thing going on, but not really being more complacent in it. Just because like, the way she writes, at least to me, seems like the way that would appeal most to someone who has not experienced these things firsthand. It's like, oh... You know, it's like more for someone who's trying to have the moment of realization and enlightenment. And right. someone trying to yeah. She's trying to be empathetic. Yeah. Which is which is a valid thing, but like it definitely gets into all sorts of conversations which are way above my level and honestly get kind of disheartening and disrespectful to a lot of people very easily. Right, right. Well I mean, it, I I feel like if she had come across a lot more confrontationally, um it, it also could have just been out of 
I don't, we don't know what was going on behind the scenes with her record label, but she was signed to a major label. She was, like, making a folk sort of, not really pop-oriented album, but certainly more of a folk-oriented album, and so, like, yeah, I don't know. I, the content of the album could have been influenced by, like, whatever her label wanted her to do, and her she, she herself didn't produce the album either, so... More to the contrary, because like from what the reports have been, like she was very adamant on being able to control what was put out. So mm-hmm. I think this is just her honest thoughts, and like she, she might have not really been trying to be like super revolutionary and you know outline her militant stance and everything. Like I think this might have just been she wanted to talk about feelings and like, right. like on the next album. There's definitely. More of those radical sentiments. Yeah, like Material World talks about how upward mobility is, or at least the idea of it is just a way to keep you locked in the system and explicitly compares it to slavery and ties in capitalism with whiteness, so she does not mince words on other ones, so this might have just been... That That is the thing. She is very private, so it's hard to tell like how much would be her honestly wanting to make this in her playing it more safe. But like it's not Well we do kind of Sorry. Yeah, so that condemnation of um capitalism and what that does to people, we do kind of get the initial bit of that here, like on mountains of yeah. things. Yeah, that's a really good song. We have like that working class speaker who's dreaming of the life of luxury and opulence, but but at what cost, though? It comes with all the bodies that they have to, she has to step on. All those material things you gain by exploiting other human beings. And her yeah. conscience is telling her this at the end of her life. I, you're kind of left to wonder, like, at, like how sincere is her desire like, for, for that luxury and opulence? Because she sounds sincere, but... She's also telling herself that these people have no souls as a way to cope, I guess, with not having these things that she covets. Yeah. I also think it might be just, like, you know, her sort of responding to situations that happen, like, you know, that's been a thing, like, we've seen it time and time again, like, as I've referenced hip-hop a few times in relationships, and there's been plenty of success successful rappers who've gotten lots of money by screwing over other rappers when they get their label signings, you know, Master P and uh, Birdman and Jay-Z and Puff Daddy. Screwed over somebody in order to become multi-millionaires. Right, right. Well, I mean, in the hip-hop community, there's like a sense in which this talk about opulence and luxury and the way that they show off that it's it, it's a celebration of like overcoming adversity though yeah. and coming from that working class background and yeah. you know yeah. having well, escaped that necessity of grinding and doing whatever you do to sur- whatever you need to do to survive yeah. and that's honestly kind of i think what tracy's kind of getting at because like she is definitely like, that's sort of why she sets the person as just narrator in that song as a regular person and how you end up 
getting blinded during that. You can get very easily corrupted during that pursuit. This happened to a lot of people, and like, could very well have like been something on her mind. That's the... Absolutely. You recognize the monster within yourself, lest you be like let it come out, and let, lest you yeah. become a monster outwardly. Yep. Mm -hmm. Well, let's see. There's the less political side. There's "Baby, Can I Hold You," which is sort of her. Uh, That's another warm-sounding track. I know I mentioned that yeah. a lot of the tracks had like a lot of reverb and like a warm bassline. That oh, this track is smooth as butter. I love it. Yeah, it's probably her most produced track, which means that there are like two keyboards on it, like as he was posting. Oh yeah. It's very nice, sort of you know, prom feel. It's got that gentle sway to it, and but it's also the lyrics are very, yeah. But also, it's really sad because of her basically going. At least the way I interpret it is that I'm not able to apologize or say I love you, so I'll try and like express it through these other means, but the inherent problem of if you can never actually express apologies or love hang on you know physical affection and gifts i mean oh, that's yeah there's definitely like an element of hardship that's being presented here um i kind mm -hmm. of I think it's an optimistic song, personally. I, I mean, you hear the the chord progression, you hear the the melody. It's pretty uplifting. Um, I think she's mostly acknowledging, like, just the fact that long term relationships and a lasting commitment to someone can be tough at times. And yes, there might be the relationship that she's talking about might not be as healthy as it could be. But you know, it's what she's got for the moment. And. You know that that emotion is yeah. real, yeah. and I totally, I totally appreciate that. This is such, this is just such a heartfelt song. Yeah, definitely. That might, it might just be because a darker reading might just come because it comes right after "Behind the Wall," which is right. Oh, okay, look. that one, that acapella track, right? I can't listen to that song more than once. It is her harrowing depiction of being a witness to or just bystander to domestic abuse and police ineffectiveness i mean at least what about was a bop like this song <laughs> this, all it is is her vocals and you're just left yeah. to contemplate what has happened yeah and also okay also that shout out um she gets real about the police too they always yeah, come just... late if they come at all and they can't interfere in the domestic affairs between the man and his wife and then they just heart wrenching. Like, yeah. And then at the end, the cop just sort of stands there and is like, everybody go home, calm down. And then it happens mm -hmm. and then it starts all over again. Sweep it under the rug. It's a sobering commentary on like the broken system that she sees. Yeah. It's definitely the most pointed song on the album. I feel like this is the one that most reflects any criticism of her being insubstantial in her politics. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a criticism that could be made of other songs here, not this one. This yeah. one, she gets to the point. Yeah. 
those would probably be why and if not now, which are those very broad John Mayer types yeah, of songs speaking, that are like. <laughs> speaking of other tracks on the album that are like around two minutes long, why is like, hmm, it doesn't justify its existence quite as well. I, I was fine with it because this is just a very, this is a pretty brief album. It comes in like 36 minutes, but you know. It's it's a pretty basic setup where it's just her asking a bunch of questions like why are people lonely? Why are people starving when we have surplus of food? Why aren't people safe in their homes? And it's like interesting questions. It does make you think. And the yeah. instrument yeah, that that instrumental can only be described as confrontational. Yeah. Yeah, that sort of bluesy stomp to it. Oh yeah. Yeah, you can dance to this to this thing. Had a rug, but I just—it is a little bit discombobulated. I feel like she's just putting together a bunch of rhetorical questions and social justice platitudes together, like at lightning speed. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's a lot to contemplate about right now, Tracy. Like one question at a time. This is what we did on the previous songs. Yeah. Well. That maybe that's part of it, like just feeling overall overwhelmed by all the things. Overwhelmed by the world, that's true. It that's just what life is like. Let's see the ones we wanna do. Just like These Doctor Tickets, that's a cute song. Yeah. It's just sort of an escape type song. I feel like yeah, some of these later tracks on the album, the lyrics are like a little corny, if I may. A tiny bit. This is like Sad girl version of uh, what's the, don't stop believing. Yeah, this is this is definitely very much that. Yeah, she's going to fly away because she is done. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's not. Really she talks about hate, corruption, and greed, and give your life, and invariably they'll leave you with nothing. And I was like, okay, so <laughs> yeah, it's one of those songs. Yeah. Reaching the choir. Yeah. I guess the beat was nice. Like it's. F- oh yeah, that was... sweet little calypso rhythm. Yeah. yeah it's got the nice percussion. It was nice. So we got a few more tracks at the end here. Um, yeah, she caps it, it off like with. Uh... Let's see. For my lover. That was a nice song. It's like, Tracy, get out of the relationship. Oh, it's, wait, man. This is my interpretation again, I feel, me. I mean, I feel once again kind of like the same vibe as Baby Can I Hold You. Like, it's... She's, she's definitely committed, and she's not going to let this person go. Yeah. I don't know. This is a lot more... She's making choices. She's making she's, choices. You know? She's going to jail. That's what she's doing. Because she can't leave this person. But don't you see some people are worth doing that for, though? That's what true love no. is. You stick with them till the end. For better or for worse. For so jail. We just, we just <laughs> talked about what about... <laughs> Careful of the logic. Smash just... Western ideals of marriage. Ladies and gentlemen, there are probably a few situations or going to jail for your lover is permissible. Most of them don't involve they were doing a crime. Actually, yeah, I'm not no sure point. if your lover did a crime in this. 
Can't deny that. <laughs> Actually, why why did she go to jail in this song? I just realized I'm not sure. Gonna look at those lyrics. It was in Virginia. I can oh. tell you that much. She's just in prison. She doesn't tell why. Okay, I guess that's just how it be sometimes. Sometimes you're in prison and you don't know why. She goes to prison a little bit. Because she's a romantic. But yeah, it's nice. And it does have Sometimes nice the best prison stories lack context. Yeah. And also, she's got a nice speed. It's another one that sort of wasn't that blue stomp. Like, uh, with, like, with why. Yes, another one to jam to and vibe to. Um, how about this penultimate track, if not now? That was that was nice. That not a whole lot going on other than like we have to take action. Right. It's it's okay. another uplifting one. You know, leaves you with positive emotions about change. But there's also, there's also a sense of urgency too. Yeah. Yeah, honestly, I feel like she kind of um, she kind of peters out a bit near the end here. It's definitely a front-loaded record. Yeah, that you know, there's a part of that part of me that agrees, but also I feel like considering her general genre of singer-songwriter and folksy, it's okay for her to be less energized toward the end. But on the other hand, yeah, if not now, is one of her weaker tracks. Yeah, I mean, as far as as far as being less energized, that's fine. But I feel like there's something to be said for making stylistic variations in your sound and just writing unique lyrics that you can do to keep the album fresh as you go along. And there's less of that near the end of this record. Song. Yeah, I don't know what like, I'm saying here. I don't know, like it's really just the last two songs because like we get the main sound for the first three songs. And then behind the wall is the acapella, then baby's more the ballad. And Round of Things has that weird. The first run of like six or yeah. I mean, the first run of like five or six songs on this album is just excellent, and then near the end, I'm I'm like remembering it less. Yeah. Yeah, no, this is a very promising debut, and I I definitely enjoyed it overall. Yeah, I would also like just mention the very last track for you. I honestly, it it does barely register a little bit for me because it's just acoustic guitar and her saying, "I'm in love," but it's it's nice and poetic. Yeah, I mean, she's doing, she's capping off the album by doing what she does best. Yeah. Evoking those emotions. Cat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I would agree. That's, that's about all I, have, I would have to say. I'm definitely intrigued to see more of her discography after this, because I definitely heard the name Tracy Chapman, um, but outside of Fast Car, maybe a few times, I hadn't really probed much into this, and looks like another 90s icon. Yeah, I haven't honestly explored a whole lot past this album. Uh, over the sort of in prep for this album, I listened to the next album. I think Crossroads. Yeah, it was Crossroads, and then the third album 
which I forget. But yeah, there's definitely interesting things around in there. You want to check out. Indeed. Yeah. Well, that's about all the time we have for today, folks. The albums that we listened to were The Velvet Rope by Janet Jackson and Tracy Chapman by Tracy Chapman. I'm Caleb Clark. And I'm Eric Rigg. Thank you for listening to the Busy Cheers Club. <laughs>